0: Hi, everybody. This is Charlie from the Thriving School Community Podcast. We have Evan Robb on today, Dr. Evan Rob, and we are going to have some great conversation about how to support mental health as a system and what specific programs are working well and what we can do to level those up. So, Evan, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks a lot, Charlie. I appreciate our connection through social media, and it's really nice to be able to connect in this medium also.
0: It is a good medium. It's good casual right. conversation that can cover a lot of topics in a deep way. I love it. Yeah. So can you please just tell, and, and I'm I'm not asking you to give your life story because I know that gets very boring for you, um, but you do have an, an impeccable background in education. And I think that your lens is truly, truly valuable. So what expertise do you have in education and in talking to our audience of education leaders about improving the mental health system in our schools?
1: Well, um thank you for asking that question. You know, I'd like to think that part of my uh, understanding or expertise, for lack of a better word, uh, is I've been doing this for quite a long time uh, and have had opportunities to work in lots of different schools from really large school, schools, schools that are in urban settings, schools that are a little more suburban uh, and uh, serve in the capacity of teacher, team leader, department chair, assistant principal, principal. Uh, and I've recent, recently retired from principal and now I'm working in private education Uh, But along the way, I've had opportunities to work with lots of teachers all over the country and really the globe, uh, and also to write several books. My two most most recent books are from Corwin, uh, and I encourage anyone to check those out also. Uh, So part of my experience has been through uh, just being in the sandbox uh, and learning along the way and learning how to support kids through a lot of challenges and many of the typical challenges that kids have as they move through adolescence. Uh, And of course, recently, I've experienced what every person who's listening to this podcast has experienced, uh, is COVID and managing uh, mental health of kids and staff through the pandemic and figuring out positive ways to provide support and also to move forward uh, in a productive manner now that we're hopefully moving more towards Mm post-pandemic.
0: And we've learned a lot, haven't we? My goodness, since then, we have. And so one of the things that you and I are going to talk about is an advisory program for kids that is designed to support kids and their mental health, but beyond academics. So can you tell me kind of the philosophy behind having an advisory program at your school?
1: Yeah, I think it's important for kids to, one of the things that's really important in middle school, but probably at every level, is for kids to feel connected to adults. And, uh, and certainly kids can be connected to their classroom teacher in, you know, within a very traditional classroom structure, but advisory programs can provide an opportunity to have some additional time in the day for kids to be able to be in a smaller group, to work with um, a teacher and be able to dig into some of the other um, ups and downs and triumphs and challenges that come with, in my case, with being in middle school. Um, So to build those deeper relationships, to have open conversations, to be a point of contact, to perhaps be a liaison between the student and their parent or the student and other teachers. So just creating better lines of communication, and creating strong, stronger supports for kids that are consistent throughout throughout the day.
0: And so, do parents have a lot of input into the advisory program at, in your particular school?
1: Yeah, one of the things that we like to do is we certainly like to reach out to parents to get an understanding of what they're what they're interested in, what they would look for within an advisory program, um, what are some of their hopes and their dreams about that kind of program, uh, you know, as their kids move through middle school, and then. You know, also to stay in a lot of contact between the advisor and and the you know, and the parent. So you know, in a beautiful sense, you know, the advisor could be someone who contacts a parent because the child's having struggles either socially or having struggles academically, and they can again serve as that liaison. So I, I kind of envision it as a really good. It should be a back to forth kind of communication between the advisor and the parent and the parent and the advisor.
0: Yeah, that's good when all the adults are working to support the kid. I mean, you can't go wrong, right? I don't know if we're always doing it right, but when we're all looking out for kids, that seems like to be in their best interest when we're all working together. So how how do you roll something like, like that out if it's from, I know you st- you came to the school and it was already started, mm-hmm. but if you were going to start a brand new school, how might you roll out an advisory program? Uh,
1: I, ha- I have actually had experience doing that before Okay, oh, um, in the traditional kind of advisory sense like we're talking about, but also um, other kind of micro blocks that focus on a character education that may focus on academic support or enrichment throughout the school day but really the key for that to work in my opinion is to help people understand the value in it so you know what i found that may take a little more time because you know one of the things that one can experience as an administrator is the position could give someone the ability to mandate it and just make it happen uh, but i know your experience within this realm also and, and uh you would probably agree with me that that's probably the least effective way to make this work. Um, you can't mandate mandate people to have relationships with kids or, or to elevate that. Um, people have to see value in it. So the journey that I would go down is uh, getting starting some professional study within the building, getting some professional development brought into the building, article study, book study, uh, and helping people see the value in it, and then have that go kind of in tandem with conversations, about how are we supporting our kids? How are we meeting their needs? Not just academically, but how are we meeting the social needs of kids? Uh, and also, you know, I find value in taking a really good, honest look at you know, what are the social needs of kids? And, you know, are they different right now, post-pandemic, than they were in 2017? Uh, you know, from my experience, yeah, a little, a little different. Um, I have some youngsters that uh, they're not as socially adjusted as kids that I'd seen several years prior to the pandemic. But that's okay, you know, and we can help them move forward. And again, I found advisory program to be a good way to do it. But I typically focus more on being process driven uh, to bring anything into the building versus just, you know, thou shalt. Mm-hmm. So I think if people want a program like this to work, you know, you've got to invest time up front. you got to build commitment for it. People have to uh, see it as something that makes sense. Uh, and then they're much more likely to embrace it. And then you need to provide ongoing professional development so people have an understanding, you know, of, of how it can grow and, and continue to support the needs of kids.
0: So I can imagine that in all of your experience, you've had a lot of pushback from staff or or sometimes, sometimes. How do you deal with that when there's not that buy-in?
1: Um, that is challenging. So you know, I think anyone would agree that you know an advisory program where a kid is with an adult who is invested, caring, supportive, and really truly sees value in the program is the absolute best spot. And uh, I've never met a parent that wouldn't want their child in that position. Uh, I have not had a lot of experience with people who just flat out you know say no i don't want to do it and just and just get really uh righteously indignant about not doing it but i have had people who are are just not fully invested in that program over time and that is that is a problem and it's probably one of the biggest hurdles to launching these programs to be successful and uh, because a lot of it relies on trust you know so if you have a large school and you've got 30 teachers that are advisors and they're all in advisory at the same time administratively, you're going to have to have some faith that when the kids are in the room, six to eight kids, they're in there with the teacher, the door is closed, that good things are happening and positive things are happening um, you know, for kids. Obviously, it's not always the case. So there are a couple of things that, that I've done. One is just try, if you have the luxury of a large enough staff to start the program with staff that are most likely uh, to be invested and most likely to make a program like that succeed. Mm -hmm. That's the best way to begin. And then typically when that happens, people start talking to colleagues. Uh, If they see value in it, they tell their colleagues that it's valuable or they see benefits. Perhaps how it's even spilling over into the academic day um, with kids having better connections to school. A good selling point to launch a program uh, like that. Now, you know, the opposite is somewhat true also, which is, you know, if a teacher is really undermining it or even subtly undermining it, uh, that can hurt the integrity of the program
0: absolutely and it's sad because i think i think we all know somebody like that but the problem is, is is there's so many great things and great people if they're not sure how to run it or they didn't have that buy in there's some roadblock there right there's mm-hmm. some roadblock and so i think good leaders will try to identify what those roadblocks is let what those roadblocks are and then try to work through that and i'll tell you from working with educators a lot what i go back to over and over is they don't feel equipped They're like, I'm not a therapist. I don't know Mm -hmm. how to do this. And so their own insecurities come out. So how how do you address that? Just coming from a therapist perspective, talking with kids about their feelings and some things might come up that could be triggering for them or you. And if they're not equipped to deal with that, what are those conversations in your building um, uh, around leadership? How are you guys mitigating that?
1: Uh, That's absolutely a challenge. And so you know, I've definitely dealt with people who believe that, well, you know, I am an English teacher, as an example, I'm not a counselor, I'm a math teacher, I'm not a counselor, and getting people to kind of shift their thinking from being very content specific to being more whole child. Uh, And when you look at the whole child, you know, you're not just looking at the the teaching and the learning that they need to, they need to experience, but looking at, you know, into the whole affective domain and how are they fitting in, how are they connecting with school. And, And, you know, with your background, if kids don't feel safe if they don't feel connected or, or worse, if they feel completely disconnected, the other things just simply don't work. Right. So again, my approach is, which is gonna be more process driven is always about professional development, coordinated professional development, uh, getting book studies, getting article studies in place, and then myself meeting with teachers, having conversations, trying to understand uh, what's going well, what are challenges, creating opportunities for people to share successes, Uh, to share frustrations, uh, and also setting up some parameters, such as, you know, we're going to talk about the program, we're going to talk about ways to make this program successful, uh, but we're not going to have a conversation that we don't want to do it. I mean, we're going to do the program, but let's talk about how we can work together to support each other to make it more effective. And I've I've actually found that really helpful, not just with advisory programs, but with lots of initiatives, you know, that I brought into buildings before. Project-based learning could be an example of bringing that in through PD, book study, article study, really focusing on the grassroots, having those conversations about what's successful, what's not, uh, how do we move it forward, but not having conversations, you know, that are, well, we don't want it. Um, especially, you know, at some point as the leader in the building working with your team and, and hopefully uh, through a collaborative process, you have some high agreement about what's best for kids. I um, mean, you want to make sure that those things are happening, but in partnership with that, you want to focus on how you can support people to, to find some success that way.
0: Mm-hmm. But I
1: think that, you know, again, there was, so we talked about a couple ways that something can fail. So yes, it, it can fail with a thou shout. It can also fail if it doesn't have enough support. Along the way, it can fail if there's not enough communication. Uh, and those are things that can somewhat be avoided. And I, I think that when you bring anything into a building, an advisory program or any initiative, if you get a little more process oriented on, on how it's gonna happen, yeah. Uh, I I think you have a higher, a higher chance for success. But, um, but I, you know, I would be really upfront Charlie and say, you know, I've been in situations where, uh, you know, it just hasn't gone well with some people. They just can't get into that mindset that yes, they can support kids in in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, but, you know, and then part of this comes down into, you know, what's your belief system as an educator. And, uh, you know, I'm always going to be whole child focused And, and kids need a lot in school. And I certainly don't, downgrade the importance of English, language, arts, history, and science, and you know, you know, the whole elective experience, but they have to feel comfortable in school also, uh, and they have to feel connected. You, you know, one of the things that, it's like, it's a simple thing that I come back to a lot. So when I was uh, younger, I used to watch this, um, um, there's a TV show, um, gosh, I'm going to forget the name right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Of course, when uh, you're on the spot. Pardon me? Of course, when you're on the spot, <laughs> yeah um, go
1: ahead. well, let's just let's kind of rephrase that and say it is important for people to feel connected. So as adults, we want to be connected in terms of we like people to know who we are. And so no one wants to go through their day feeling anonymous or or invisible. Um, right. I haven't known adults that like that. Kids don't like that either. but the the ability, especially in large schools, really large classrooms, for kids to get lost and feel disconnected, you know, are, are pretty high. And, and I do believe that people in general they want connections. So advisories and that small that small that opportunity of having a small amount of kids connected with an adult it, is a way to um, to foster connections and hopefully with the right people doing it to really build some strong connections that get kids, uh, you know, feeling more engaged within school, you know, and then in turn hopefully doing better in school.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? And these conversations that we have uh, with educators is what about my own mental health? Mm-hmm. So, so how are you at, especially in these times, what are you doing to address that? The
1: yeah, definitely experienced that, you know, an awful, an awful lot through through COVID. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so some, you know, experienced some things where there's tremendous pressure to get teachers back in school And um, it's at times some disregard for teachers, uh, their mental health and even maybe their physical health, um, you know, in in terms of how people were understanding COVID at various times, you know, as we went through COVID. And I think one of the things that I saw as an administrator was, uh, you know, when COVID, when the lockdown first occurred, you know, I would hear a lot of things about teachers being heroes. And uh, you know what a wonderful job teachers were doing to kind of manage this very challenging time. But then as time went on, you know, some you get this domino effect. Some schools start opening up, and others aren't opening up. And then within communities, people can be angry that a school is not open when another school in another community is open. Uh, and then uh, teachers felt I saw some people feel that you know that their health and their physical health or their well-being wasn't really that important to some people. Uh, it was just more important that they were that they were back in school. And no one would deny that kids need to be in school. And, uh, you know, that's where we want our kids to be in virtual learning. Um, I think people did a good job with that as best as they can, but it doesn't take the place of kids being within a classroom. So that was challenging. And so during that process, one of the things that we tried to bring into the building were opportunities for teachers to, uh, to just have some breaks during the day. So maybe a walking group. Where teachers go out during lunch and have some time walking we had a yoga, yoga instructor you know come in and, and offer that for teachers yes. um, our counselors worked on stress management with teachers' um, even just basic you know breathing and, and how to get yourself relaxed if you're feeling if you're feeling anxiety uh, and also if needed be to connect teachers to mental health professionals or support you know with help and helping them feel that there wasn't a stigma attached to that
0: mm, okay. you know, I think that I
1: shared that with you you know kids feel yeah. kids feel stigma. Um, when it comes to mental health, and and sometimes kids can get teased if other kids know that they're seeing a counselor or getting some support, and that's something that we have to really work hard to eliminate. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, I've seen adults sometimes, you know, in the same kind of place. So I think you know it's this combination of you know understanding, extending grace, uh, understanding the journey that people have gone through. Uh, providing supports within the building. And again, I just named a couple, they're small, but every little bit helps. Uh, And also, um, you know, just again, being, being very understanding with the needs of your staff.
0: Yes. And and that's it. And that, well, that goes back to the conversations that you mentioned to me earlier. It's that you said that you have to promote those open and honest conversations. And if you don't, you're shutting people out. So, just having the conversations validates them, so that's big. And and how do you how do you have those conversations? What do you do to stimulate those conversations, Evan?
1: I think what you need to do. Well, what I would do for myself, you know, if I was having challenges or issues, I'd be very comfortable to explain that, to share that with people. Mm. And I think sometimes, you know, especially as the principal of a building, uh, you know, you can feel like you know you can't make mistakes. You got to be Johnny on the spot all the time, and um, you know you have to kind of. You shouldn't be affected by things that may affect other people, and boy, that's an awful big burden to carry. Yeah. Uh, and I think so. Being being comfortable with your um, with challenges that you have, or in this case that I had, um, actually um, I felt like enhanced my connections with faculty because they understood that I was going through some things that they were going through also. Uh, and then when people I think witness some vulnerability, they're more comfortable to share. Uh, and open up and, you know, at times seek resources, you know, or have conversations with you. That's great. And and for me, that that was really helpful. And and that's been an interesting learning curve that I've just gone through in terms of my leadership and leadership style over really decades. You know, when I was new at being a principal, I thought that, you know, you got to have to be everywhere. You have to do everything. You got to know everything. Uh, And, you know, if you don't, you look like you're not effective or people will think less of you. And then, you know, what I started learning over time was, no, people would actually think a lot more of me if I was just really honest about uh, what I could do well and and what I couldn't. Uh, mm-hmm. And certainly the same applied to my mental health and uh, how I was managing COVID and, you know, how I continue to manage those times.
0: Mm-hmm. Don't you wish you would have known that earlier in your career, that it's okay to be vulnerable, not sharing too much information, but somewhat vulnerable Telling people, you know, I'm not really sure about this. Let me find that out. Not having to know it all, not having to be that person. Wouldn't that, that have been better to know early in your career?
1: <laughs> yeah, I wish, I wish I did. Yeah. I wish I yeah. did because, you know, the path that that I went on actually just led to me feeling incredibly burnt out. Uh, and that was really in my late 30s. Um, so that's 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and realizing that for me, I, unfortunately for me, I didn't come to this like, really soft realization and made a gentle turn out of it. It was more kind of moving towards crashing and burning and realizing that it's not sustainable. Mm
0: -hmm. So either I
1: got to do something different or I got to find a different way to, uh, to manage things uh, and, and move forward as a leader that was good for the people that I worked around, but also good for me too, because I was part of the equation also.
0: Yes. A valuable piece of the equation and, and everybody in which I know that you agree with this is, Everybody in that building is a piece, a valuable piece of that equation. So Mm -hmm. it's important that we lean on each other. So I know know we're probably, we need to wrap up here because of time. Um, So what I would like to do is think about that book that you have most recently that you published in February, just uh, 2022, it's recent. So it's called Aiming High Leadership Actions to Increase Learning Gains. And the reason I, learning gains, the reason I bring it up is because I know with your stuff, there's underlying connection, culture building, um, valuing your the people that you're around. Can you tell a little bit about, like, if somebody was going to pick that book up, and they're, of course, a leader, what would they get out of that?
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. I think one of the things that they would get out of it are some things that we've talked about right now, which is uh, the pandemic put me and, and certainly many other people in similar positions into a place where we didn't really know what to do. And that can be incredibly daunting, you know, or it could be an opportunity to think about what you do differently. And at the core of this book is my personal journey of uh, being really, really unsure and letting go of some things and actually sourcing uh, the team around me to figure out a way to collectively and collaboratively work through work, work through a time that none of us had ever prepared for. And, you know, one of the things that I learned through it was, you know, I would sometimes speak to other other People in education, some of them in leadership positions, and they would say, well, you know, I didn't go to, didn't go to grad school to uh, learn how to manage a pandemic. You know, I don't know what to do. And there were probably times when I felt that way also. But what I started to realize was, uh, yeah, I probably do know what to do. And what I need to do is remove some of the responsibility that it's all on me and figure out a way that we can work together and support each other uh, and figure out a way to move through this that, that's good for kids, but also good for teachers. And the other piece that comes out of that book, which is, for me, is you need to find ways to support and take care of your teachers, because if that's not in place, it's just not going to work for for kids.
0: Yeah, I love that message.
1: Yeah, when they're both in place, you know, I think really good things happen. And I hope we don't lose sight of that, you know, as we move further and further away from the pandemic. You know, we live in a time of a lot of mandates, and there's a lot of pressure on teachers uh, to um, everything, you know, in terms of... um, standardized test performance and and other metrics that can make the job really, really stressful. Mm-hmm. But your kids are not just a data point. You know, they're, they're human beings. And, um, you know, if we focus on educating the whole child and providing good social emotional supports along with, you know, the academics that kids need to have, you know, I think kids benefit from that. And I think that staff benefit from it also. But staff will always benefit more, in my opinion, from a leader who is willing to be honest with where they are, you know, along along their leadership journey. And uh, I wish I did know that a long time ago. Maybe that comes a little bit with age and just getting a little more comfortable with the skin that you live in. Uh, but that resonates certainly throughout the book, also.
0: Awesome. I think if we teach teachers how to do that effectively with kids, you could put anybody in that advisory leadership role with them. Yeah, I think that could absolutely. work. Yeah. Well, great. Um, thank you. I know there's a lot in my mind. I'm like, what about this? What about this? But we'll do that another time because there's so much we could talk about. Um, but Evan, thank you very much for being here. If somebody wants to reach out to you, I don't know if people realize, but you've been in the speaking world a lot. You're an mm-hmm. author, of course. You, you have so much wisdom. If they want to reach out with to you, can they do that? How can they do that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, the easiest way to connect with me is connect with me on Twitter at Principle. Uh, I am relatively active on Twitter and get a lot of people messaging me on Twitter, and I do my best to always get back to them quite quickly. Um, you can message me on Facebook at Evan Rob at the Rob Review rather, and um, also on LinkedIn at Evan Rob MBA. And you can find my books on Amazon also if someone's interested. Yes,
0: yeah, so I definitely think everybody needs to get get out there at least read your blog and then get that last book. I think it would be really helpful in today's climate. That'd be great to have. So good, thank you.
1: Thank you, Charlie. I appreciate the opportunity to um, have a conversation.
0: Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being here.